And so tonight, uh, we're going to talk about Christian community uh, from Ephesians chapter 4. We've already talked about friendships uh, two weeks, a couple of uh, weeks ago, we talked about friendship. So we've, we've said some stuff about community. There's more to say, and of course, we won't say everything uh, tonight, um, but we'll say a few things from Ephesians 4. And I wanted to actually give you a picture of Christian community and kind of the Christian life. Uh, RUF is a place for everybody. We're a safe place for you no matter where you are on the spectrum of belief. And so if you're not a Christian or you're kind of in this place where you don't know if you are or not, this will be a, a helpful way to kind of peek in the window and see what God has to say about the community or fellowship that he gives his people. So this is Ephesians 4. Uh, and consider this kind of more like a, maybe a meditation or a devotion on this. I don't have points. I just want to look at one idea the whole time together, next 30 or so minutes, um, to uh, consider what Christian community is and, and how uh, we're to participate in it. Paul says this. Paul is in prison when he's writing this, and Paul has history with these people. This is a church he planted. He was their pastor for three years. Uh, apparently, they bonded so tightly when, when it was time for Paul to leave. Uh, Acts chapter 20 records the last meeting together. Not a dry eye in the building. Grown men weeping when Paul left. That's how close they'd become. So, Paul isn't talking to random people. These are people he loves like children. Paul says to them years later, writing again, as a prisoner for the Lord in prison, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've already received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. We skip down a few verses. How, what does this grace look like that, God, that Christ has given you? So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Why? To equip you, his people, for works of service or for ministry, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then, when that happens, we will no longer be infants who are tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every newfangled teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming or false teachers. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Thank you. Why don't you take a seat? I'll tell you what we're going to talk about. <clears throat> There's this old American poet, probably mid-1800s, maybe early 1800s, named Oliver Wendell Holmes. And I've talked with several of you this past week. This has been on my mind. Uh, and Oliver Wendell, Wendell Holmes said this. He said, for the simplicity on the near side of complexity, I wouldn't give a fig. But for the simplicity on the far side of complexity, I would give my whole life. So what he's talking about is, is this, I, 
you can kind of visualize it this way. And I went ahead and changed a few words here so we can distinguish them. He said, I wouldn't give a fig for simplicity on the near side of complexity. So like if we're right here. But I would give my life for the simpleness or the simplicity that comes after you've passed through the furnace, the crucible of complexity. So let's call this simplisticness. Simplistic. Let's call this simple. So Holmes, when he, when, he kind of, when he had this quote, what he was doing is kind of saying there's three places that we tend to do life. Three kind of, yeah, three locations that we do life. And this could be where you do your relationships or uh, the three different stages of uh, kind of where you're at spiritually or where you're at in terms of Christian community. A place of simplisticness, a place of complexity, a place of uh, simplicity. But these are the three basic places that we do life. Um, let's unpack these a little bit. What does he mean by simplistic? I wouldn't give a penny. I wouldn't give a fig for this stuff. It's worthless. Um, simplisticness, uh, if, if you're at a simplistic place in any of those areas of life, community, relationships, school even, in your major maybe, simplisticness, uh, is, it feels like the world is very black and white. Everything is simple. Everything is common sense. Um, everybody's problems that you speak into, it's, it kind of brings this response from you. Oh, just do this. Oh, that's, sim- that's simple. Just do this. Here's a little piece of advice. If you just follow this, everything will clear up. Um, the past couple of weeks, maybe with dating or with friendship before that, if you're at a simplistic place uh, in your uh, relational maturity, or maybe a simplistic place just because you haven't had the experience of dating before. That was me in your shoes when I was your age. Um, you, you haven't had the experiences or you haven't been through the furnace. And so all of this stuff has sounded kind of hypothetical to you. It might sound really great. It makes intellectual sense. Oh, that's helpful. Uh, dating is more like friendship than it is like marriage. And I need to be careful about exclusivity. I need to be careful about uh, emotional attachment and that kind of stuff. It makes a lot of sense. Maybe you have a lot of opinions. Um, but things seem to be black and white. They seem to be clear. It makes sense. Um, simplisticness doesn't have to be a bad thing. Bodily, you have to be a baby before you can be a toddler, right? You got to be a toddler before you can be a teenager. You got to be a teenager before you can be an adult. Uh, same thing spiritually. You have to start at a place of simplicity. That's just the way it is. Um, but there comes a day in each area of your life. Some of you are in midterms right now. You're experiencing this academically where you might have started the semester at a place of simplisticness. Oh, I got this class down. I know this stuff. And then midterms came and you're studying this material. You're reading through lectures and it's like, this is all Greek to me now. None of this makes sense. And you have your panic attack. You have your freak out moment and you're like, oh, do I need to drop this class? Because something happens, life comes along, and everything that used to seem simple and easy now seems confusing and complex. You're in the dark. You're in the fog. This makes even more sense when you think about this with your family, with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, with your parents, uh, with your doubts about yourself, about God, about Christianity, about whatever. But something happens and you stumble into a season of suffering, of, of trial, of temptation, of testing, of pruning. All words the Bible uses to talk about how God, in love, because he cares for you, 
and is growing you will shake your world uh, to, to grow you up, to mature you, to bless you. But something happens and everything gets complicated. And so you, the past couple of weeks as we've been talking about dating or been talking about friendship, you're the person that nothing seemed simple to you. Because you're the one with the roommate where you're like, how is anybody supposed to love this person? Or you're the one who used to think it's really simple to love and honor your parents, but now that you got word that dad's leaving, your parents are getting a divorce, now all of a sudden everything is an enigma. How am I supposed to honor a father who is sinning or a mother who is sinning, who is selfish, who's breaking apart my family? Everything's complex. Or your dating relationship, you're well beyond the place of kind of standing at the beginning, mapping out which ways we should go and which pitfalls we should avoid. You feel like you've already walked past that stuff. You've done some wise things, you've done some foolish things. And the past couple of weeks are hard to hear. It's confusing, you're in the dark, you feel alone, you feel stuck. Complexity, the furnace, the crucible, suffering. Sometimes in those places, maybe you're already starting to bump into areas in your life where God has pulled you out or he's pulling you out of the fog. You've kind of, you've begun to poke through to the other side. Light is getting in now. And it has simplified your faith. It's simplified and clarified and organized your thoughts about these things. Um, these are the people who might say things that sound simplistic, but are actually earth-shakingly profound. For instance, the Apostle John, this 90-year-old man, probably towards the end of his life, when he writes the epistles, 1 John, that Ezra read from earlier, beloved, love one another. That could be, that could, you could hear that as like, oh, duh, love one another. I hear that all the time. Thanks for the novel memo. I never would have connected those dots. Thank you, John. You could hear that as simplistic, or you could hear that from a man who uh, has, has scars, a man who has bled and suffered, a man who would give his life for the gospel, a man who Jesus called my beloved. John had this, this, this joined at the hip relationship with Jesus. You could hear it from a place of incredible profundity, just makes the hair on the back of your head stand up. The simple. You're a little wiser, you're a little more mature. Um, this is, these are kind of the three places. Holmes said, I wouldn't give a fig for this, but I would give my life for this. The inconvenient part is you have to go through here. And the Bible says that. Um, if, if you wanted to draw an arrow and say, what is the Christian life? If you had to put it visually, Jesus would say, this is what God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is committed relentlessly to do in and for his people. And this is James 1, counted as pure joy when you suffer trials of various kinds for your, te- your faith is being tested. Character, steadfastness is being produced. This is Romans 8. God is working all things, even when life hits the fan, even when everything falls apart for your good and for his glory. This is Hebrews 12. The Lord disciplines those he loves. If he's disciplining you, it's because he's treating you like a son or a daughter. This is John 15, the true vine. The father prunes his children. He cuts off branches 
that we might bear fruit. God is committed to bringing you to a place of faith that is like that of a child. Does that make sense? The adults were the ones who got a lot of Jesus' pushback. They thought they had everything figured out. It was super simple to them. The Pharisees had had an easy understanding of what life was all about. Jesus is saying, you don't understand anything. And either through conversation or through suffering or confusion, Jesus brings his people to a place of simplicity where you say very simple, clear, uh, concise things later on in life, but they actually mean the world and you have the scars to prove it. And so this might be those of you the past couple of weeks at simplicity, dating or friendship, uh, maybe where you're a year or two out of that awful relationship or that painful breakup or that divorce happened a few years ago. You wrestled with your sexuality a few years ago and how it fits with the gospel and how Jesus is still sufficient for you in that. And you're, all, you're beginning to poke out the other side. Not that you've arrived, but that life is getting a little more simple for you. You're getting your feet under you again. You're, you tell people, Jesus is faithful. I don't know what he's doing to you. I don't know how he's going to bring you through this. But I can tell you this. He is faithful. People will either hear you throwing a platitude at them, little Hallmark card, or the hair on the back of their head will stand up. And they'll believe you because they see your scars. And they know you've only learned that through your own experience and your own struggle. Okay, so if this is kind of the Christian life, God's agenda in your life, using every piece of you from your school, your vocation, your family, your sexuality, your body, your living situation, everything is on this spectrum. If this is the Christian life, this is Christian community. (laughs) And things just got complicated and chaotic because this means that in the same room, in the same body of Christ, in the same church, you have people at wildly different places of maturity. Some simplistic don't, haven't really ever experienced some of these things, don't even know how to think about it, and so they're very rigid, kind of fundamental in their beliefs, very opinionated, even though they might sometimes be uninformed opinions, maybe sometimes naive. In the same room with people who are going through profound suffering, life, nothing is simple for them. In the same room as people who have gotten their feet back under them in, the, in, in, in different areas of their lives and are more mature and wiser in those areas. And so if you imagine these three kinds of people in the same room doing life together, living together, going on dates together, being married together, working together, Christians, uh, things get chaotic, things get crazy. Not just this, Paul says in this passage, we're not just at different, um, different points of maturity, we're also at different points of wisdom. We have different experiences of faith. We have different pasts, different abilities, different gifts. Tons of diversity. He talks a lot about unity in the first few verses, and then he talks a lot about the diversity of the people in the room, the diversity in the body of Christ. My question for you is, how does it hold together in one body? Once you look at it this way, doesn't it up the ante a little bit for how is it possible for all the stuff Paul talked about, one spirit, one baptism, one father, one Lord, one redemption, one body of Christ. 
Doesn't this seem to destine us to three splinter groups who cloister with each other? The people who are suffering think these people are just naive idiots. They'll never understand. I'm not going to talk to them. Why hang out with them? These people are like, man, these people are cynical and discouraging to be around. I don't want to be around them. These people are like, these people are jerks. (laughs) Or these people, I don't get why life's so hard for them. Why don't they just do this or that? Here's the point. True Christian community is supernatural. Super (laughs) kind of means above. Natural. So here's kind of the natural realm. Natural being kind of the things that we can do on our own. Jesus said you can't do anything on your own. Um, Yeah, that's true. Uh, Without a heartbeat or without air in your lungs or him sustaining, you can't do anything. But there's a lot that we do kind of do on our own. I tie my own shoelaces. I got myself here tonight in a sense. But Christian community, this kind of oneness and unity with each other, your relationships with the people on your row who are wildly different than you and at very different places than you, for you to be united and to enjoy community and fellowship and relationship with each other requires something supernatural. It is not something I can manufacture or we can strategize about or you can produce on your own. It is a gift. It is grace. It is heavenly. That's why when it's there, Jesus says the world will know you by your love and they will glorify God because they will see something otherworldly happening when this happens. And so we got to ask the question, how do we grow One observation is it's going to be messy and complicated because each of us, all in different areas of our lives at different points on this spectrum, we bring unique blessings and unique burdens into the community we're a part of. Unique blessings, zeal, passion, energy, insight, humility, um, dependence, weakness, wisdom, patience, gentleness, empathy, but also unique burdens, unique ways we can complicate life for other people, right? Um, We can say things that wound and bruise people out of our ignorance. We can give other people the idea or the perception that life is just simple if you just do all the right stuff. And we can make people who are suffering feel all the more lonely and ostracized. With this, Uh, it's hard. When you're suffering, you know sometimes you're a drag on other people. That's unavoidable because you know how much you need them. You know other people are having to work to love you and to carry you through that. Unique burdens we bring to this. Unique burdens we bring to this. Maybe you forgot what life was like before you had experienced these things, before you had been through the fire. Um, And sometimes you can speak above people's heads. Sometimes you can get impatient with people who are here in one area of their life or another area of their life. And so we each bring unique blessings and unique burdens to your small group, to this room tonight, you brought it here with you, to the churches you're going to be a part of when you graduate, to whatever communities you have. That's what we bring to the table. Um, and on top of this, you, you also realize what holds us together. If our community is built on any of the stuff we've been talking about in the past, this friendship stuff, C.S. Lewis said friends are two people or two or more people who are pumped up about the same thing. They're going in the same direction. They enjoy the same thing. Rock climbing, politics, 
whatever, similar future, similar major. If that is what we are bonding over, how in the world does this hold together? If what we're bonding over is that we're nice people who are polite to each other, how does that hold together given all the complexity I've just talked about? All the diversity. Those are fragile hubs. And when the spokes, kind of all of this pressure of life and relationship push in on that, it collapses the hub. So if you've ever been at a church or a part of a ministry or in a relationship, Christian, where something other than Jesus is the hub of the community, the fountain of the community, it implodes eventually because it can't support the weight of all of this kind of spin cycle going on. It can't support the weight. And that's what I meant that Christian community is supernatural. It is a gift of God and Jesus Christ His work for you, his love for you, his sufficiency for you is the hub of community. Paul says that that is crystal clear in the passage. Christ is the head, we're the body. He talks about this one spirit, one Lord, one God, and Father of all. And so Jesus is the hub of true Christian community and his spirit has united you. If you're a spoke attached to that hub, I'm a spoke also attached to that hub which means you and I are a part of the same intimate relationship. You're united to Jesus, I'm united to him. We're united to each other. That's what the, how the Bible talks about uh, Christian community. And so what you and I have in common, some of you I don't even know. Seeing you here maybe for the first time or maybe your first or second time. If you're a Christian, what do you, ha- you and I most have in common? What should we begin our relationship on? We should begin our relationship on the world that we have in common. There's an old hymn writer named Samuel Stinnett. He wrote wrote a hymn called To Christ the Lord. It's a, RUF has kind of redone the music to it. uh, I don't know if we've ever sung it here. We've sung it maybe at summer conference one year. But Samuel Stinnett, he's talking about the story that you and I, if you're in Christ, the story that you and I share, the experience that you and I share. He said, um, I'm picking up kind of mid-hymn. He said, he saw me plunged in deep distress He fled to my relief. For me, he bore the shameful cross and carried all my grief. His hand a thousand blessings pour upon my guilty head. His presence gilds my darkest hours and guards my sleeping head, sleeping bed. To him I owe my life and breath and all the joys I have. He makes me triumph over death and saves me from the grave. To heaven the place of his abode, he brings my weary feet, shows me the glories of my God, and makes my joy complete. The last stanza. Since from his bounty I receive such proofs of love divine, had I a thousand hearts to give, Lord, they should all be thine. A thousand men could not compose a worthy song to bring, yet your love is a melody our hearts can't help but sing. Paul said something similar. If you have an old-fashioned Bible written on paper and you look at the very verses right before what we read tonight, it's Paul's famous prayer. He is sharing and enjoying and reveling in Jesus with these people. He says in, in verse 317, right before our passage, and I pray that you being rooted and established in Christ's love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long, and high, 
and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the full measure of God. So the last thing I want to talk about is this, and then, we, then we're done. Practically, how does community grow? How do we participate in the gift that God has given? He said you've already been called. Again, Paul's not saying something you necessarily need to start doing. He's saying, wake up to what's already true about you. Live a life worthy of the calling you have already received. What does it look like to grow together to participate in this? The short answer is, speaking the truth in love, we have this promise. We will grow. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Christ who is the head. If you're wondering what he means in these, this middle chunk in verse 11 through 13, Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists. What does it mean that we speak the truth in love with one another? This is the exact same thing the apostles and the prophets and the pastors and the evangelists do. They speak the truth in love. What he's talking about is reminding the people of God of the story of God. That's all the apostles did. They wrote the New Testament. They were witnesses. That's what the prophets did. They were witnesses to God's grace in the Old Testament. They were simply reminding the people of the rescue of God for his people. That's what the evangelists did. That's what pastors do. That's what I do every week. But it doesn't stop there. Paul says the apostles and the prophets, for you guys, that means your Bible, but also the evangelists and the pastors, their job is to equip you Equip you for the work of ministry. What is your work of ministry? What is your work of service, as he says here? It's to speak the truth and love to each other. If you still have the mentality that there's a pastor who talks up front, or a priest or a minister, and then there's me, um, your idea doesn't fit the Bible's idea or God's idea. God's idea is that every Christian is a pastor to each other and to the world. This is what he means that we, we share and remind each other of the story of God daily, hourly. Encourage each other as long as it's called today, lest you develop a hardened heart and fall away from the living God. What he's saying is our belief doesn't get us past 24 hours. You need the daily encouragement of the people sitting around you, whether you know them or not. It's part of the application of this, of this message is, do we care to get to know each other? There's a Dietrich Bonhoeffer um, book. If you don't know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is, I have some copies of this book or this chapter in the back because if you've never heard of him or read this book, you've missed out. This is kind of considered the book on Christian community called Life Together. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Christian who was a pastor in Nazi Germany. Um, the, uh, the SS... Uh, got hold of him and some of his friends who were trying to disrupt Hitler and what he was doing in Germany. They were resisting that. He was caught, he was put in a concentration camp, and he was killed about three weeks before the Allies liberated that concentration camp. He was a prolific writer during his months wasting away in a concentration camp. Uh, this is, these are some of the things uh, he wrote uh, just before that time. 
And this is us talking, speaking the word of God um, to each other. Speaking truth in love. He says, God has put his word in the mouth of brothers and sisters in order that it may be communicated to each other. When one person is struck by the word, he speaks it to others. God has willed that we should seek to find his living word or this story be reminded of it in the witness of a brother, in the mouth of a sister. Therefore, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. For by himself, he cannot help himself without belying the truth. He needs his brother. He needs his sister as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's word is sure. This is why you need an entire body of other Christians who in your moments of weakness are strong. In your moments of forgetfulness haven't forgotten. Perhaps you've heard the story of John Nash from A Beautiful Mind. MIT mathematician went crazy, had a mental breakdown, schizophrenia, heard voices all the time. Part of the community loving John Nash in his, old, in his later years in life was continually hourly reminding Dr. Nash what was true and what was not. Dr. Nash said this, I still see things that are not here. I just choose not to acknowledge them. Like a diet in my mind, I just choose not to indulge certain appetites. Like my appetite for patterns or my appetite for, uh, my appetite to imagine and to dream. The community helped him tell the difference in what is false and what is true. Just like we've been talking about the past few weeks. We speak the truth in love. Three questions, depending on where you are in your participation in Christian community. And then we're done. How do people at simplistic places, maybe you're newer to Christianity. Maybe you haven't suffered in your friendships, your relationships yet. Maybe you've never been in a hard church. Maybe every ministry you've been a part of has been awesome and easy. What do you bring to the table? How can you relate in love, speak the truth in love to friends of yours who are at a hard place where life doesn't make sense and they're wondering where God is? How do you speak to these people that you sense are a little bit further down the path than you. Uh, one thing is you can say, um, tell me your story. How are you getting through this? You can say, teach me. Uh, you can, with your zeal and your passion that these people tend to have, you can come alongside of them and be energy for them. You can carry their weight. How do these people, stuck in the confusion and complexity, and how long, O oh Lord, of life, Bless the community and speak truth and love. You share your suffering. You stop prettying yourself up in the bathroom so that you can be presentable to community where all of your troubles are here and your presentable self is here. You talk about your relationship. You talk about the divorce. You talk about your doubts because you are teaching these people that when life is hanging by a silk thread, Jesus is sufficient and strong. And you're encouraging these people and you're letting them into your story to say, press on, press on. And if you're these people, 
in one area or another of your life, you've poked through, you've, you've seen that God's promises are true. He was there for me. He didn't abandon me. Life didn't fall apart when I lost the thing I thought I most loved. You share your story too. And as Paul says in the first few verses, with humility, because you remember this, with gentleness, because you've been through this, with patience, because you remember what it was like to be here, you bear with one another in love. Christian community is supernatural. It is a gift of God. And if you're a Christian, the gift is on your doorstep. That is what it looks like to begin to open it. Whether you're at a place of naivete, haven't suffered much, or whether you're a place where you're eyeball deep in suffering or at a place where you've begun to get your feet underneath you. Beloved, love one another. That's not a cliche. Those are words that came from bleeding and suffering and seeing that God is faithful. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are the one who speaks truth and love. You are the one who drowned in the complexity. You are the one who went through the furnace. You are the one who suffered, who died, who gave your life away. You are the one who walked into hell that we might be brought through. We know that you are patient with us. We know that you bear with us in love. We pray that uh, we would believe that. We pray that we would be the reason our brothers and sisters begin to believe it more because we care about them. And whether we know them tonight or don't, we begin to get to know them so that we can be there when they need us. We ask this in your name.